Welcome to Conversations in Grief, a podcast from Anam Cara, an organization set up by bereaved parents to help themselves and all bereaved parents cope with their grief and loss and journey on. I'm Sam Whelan Curtin, and in this podcast series, we'll be hearing from parents as they share their own unique stories of their children and their journey through grief. In this episode, we will be talking about having no surviving children with Katrina as she speaks to us about losing her daughter Emily. Thank you for being with us, Katrina, and for taking the time to share your story and your journey with us. Would you introduce yourself and your family for us? My name is Katrina Tlutterbuck. I'm from Tipperary. There's me and there's my husband, Nick. And this is where you do the tenses thing. You know, there is there is our daughter, Emily, who passed away in 2013, in May 2013, at aged nearly 11 years of age. You know, I believe she's she's uh, very much so still still here, still with us, still still in the world. And can you tell me about Emily, her personality, her interests, her character? She was a bright, bright child in the sense of brightness, brightness, I think, from her, you know, she loved, loved company. She was an only child, you know, we didn't, Emily's, uh, we didn't have other children and Emily just loved company. She adored, you know, who's coming to play, who can, who's, whose house am I going to, who's, who's coming to our house, etc. She loved dogs, was on a, a long term campaign for us to get one and, you know, we we did afterwards, actually, after she just had us broken down to actually do it, you know, at the, at the, at the time when she passed away. She loved practical jokes. Um, she liked to see herself as a bit of a tomboy. You know, she was very beloved by a lot of a lot of people, a lot of people around where we live. She sounds so full of joy and brought a lot of joy to others, too. Can you tell me, Katrina, about the experience of losing her? Emily went to her usual Saturday morning hurling training in, in a morning in May in 2013. In the warm-up session, she was running across the field and she collapsed. There were ambulances call, called, etc. And there were defibrillators on site, you know, so everything was done that could be done. But uh, she, she passed away and um, it emerged that she had an underlying heart condition that we, we just had no idea about. I'm so sorry, Katrina. The experience of losing a child is so unique. Can you tell me about your experience in the time following Emily's passing? My husband has said that, you know, we we actually in many ways had a good start on an awful, awful, awful journey in that we were treated with incredible care by um, the hospital staff. Uh, Emily was you know, brought, brought to Clonmel and I could not speak highly enough about, about how they looked after us. In that immediate time afterwards, we got to spend basically until the following morning there with, with, with her and we were just looked after enormously. So, you know, just at the very beginning, there are things that people do at the beginning that, you know, to spend, be able to spend time, if that works for you. It's, it's it really made a difference for, for us and to have some people call to us. But you've asked about the grief side of it. It's very, very difficult to describe it, you know, because it is so enormous what has happened that it is almost impossible to take it in. You are just 
managing five minutes to five minutes, you know, you think, okay, what is the next thing? I need to phone so-and-so. I need to know what's going to happen next day or so. How do I, just the beginning of how do I contact, you know, funeral directors or who, where, but the actual thing, like the, the task of telling, you know, your own brothers and sisters that their beloved niece has suddenly passed away. Our closest friends, the homes that she would have, you know, spent nights and nights in and, you know, <laughs> she'd be wangling her way to spend longer and longer there, if at all possible. Because it happened in a public, you know, setting, the whole village knew about it. So there was this sense of the reverberations of shock moving outwards around the entire place, you know, as it happened and, and, and in the days afterwards. There was a strange sense through the period in the couple of days, people came in and just took over basically, you know, looked just completely, the teas and the sandwiches and everything, it just, we didn't have to do anything. It was just all done for us, you know. Um, and it was that, those encounters with people who knew and who loved our, our, our child, you know, that moment of encounter with them and that sharing of something in those moments and in those, their hearts were broken for us, but they were also suffering on their own behalf, this loss of, of our child, you know, for me. And I think, you know, there is a sense of that it wasn't and it never has been just our loss. You know, it's it was a larger thing. It was a, it was a bigger thing. I mean, it was ours in a very particular way, but the loss of other people's all around us. Suffering is part of this, you know, um, and but the opening of hearts everywhere through it. It was the most extraordinary thing in the period of the, the funeral itself, which was, you know, the rituals associated with that. We made certain decisions to become involved in it in as far as much we were as we were able. And what really helped at the point of the funeral itself was we, we something we've done for a number of years is to we, we before, beforehand and we did it afterwards as well was to run just a local children's choir in the church along with 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 with, with a good friend of ours and part of the funeral was just the whole singing and the organising of the the music for it you know to have something that was practical to do but I sang at Emily's funeral and the way I did that was not because, you know, I couldn't have spoken, I couldn't have opened my mouth to speak about it, I would not have been able to do that. But I did need to use my voice in some way or other. But the arrangement was that there would be a point in the service that if I was able to do it, I would go up and do it and Nick played guitar. If I was able to do it, I would do it. And you know, the one thing about a situation like that is that nothing you do is wrong. Absolutely nothing you do is wrong because really, you know, you do what you do what you're capable of and, and at the moment you're not capable of it then that's right too because there's nothing wrong in this there's nothing wrong you can do nothing wrong in this situation okay so then you've got the weeks the time afterwards and um there were dark times they were very dark times everything shifts every, every everything everything shifts you know because we didn't have any other children then the your routine is completely gone it's just gone completely you know so you're not you're not getting up for school you're not a big bit of you that's trying to stop recognizing this is actually happening or it has happened you know so at the point when you first go into you know you're watching yourself this is you stand beside yourself watching yourself acting you know and you're watching yourself going into a supermarket and doing the first the beginnings of the first 
tiny little shop and you know that you're not picking up the breakfast cereal that she would have that she would have used and and then you're looking at the bit of it that's left in the press and you know fast forward another two years and it's still there because you can't bear to throw it out you know <laughs> etc and when you eventually do throw it out you 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 know what I ended up doing was you know taking part of the, the, the cardboard packet and putting that somewhere else you know it's, it's like you know you're you're just see scraps and bits you're you're holding on to that element of standing beside yourself and watching yourself acting you know it is a very surreal thing because you're you're kind of in the pub, you know you're very much in the public view as well or at least you feel yourself to be you know people oh my god you know how are they coping how are they manage, managing etc you think you know what are you supposed to be doing now what's the appropriate next action for somebody you know in this in this in this situation in a sense one of the things i would think looking back on it now and it's you know it's it's seven and a half years if i was back beside myself now you know there was yet another me the me from 2021 who was back who was back beside myself at that stage i would say to myself don't be so tired on yourself around the acting because i used to think i'm, I'm just performing this i'm just performing keeping going that bereaved mother who is you know managing so well you know etc i used to think and for my next trick i will be able to you know you know have a conversation with somebody in town etc and you know and you felt like because i suppose the thing about it is that the stuff behind it is is unspeakable you know in, in, in like it's very very difficult to begin to map or register or or express what it's what that space is of, of absolute gap and absence is, is like. There were times on your own then, you know, or, or, or by ourselves when it, it would, would come and what would come would be frightening. And it was frightening. It was frightening the level of chaos and sorrow and confusion and just woundedness. It was about three months of a feeling that somebody had punched me physically in the stomach, you know, or in the top, you know, around there. It just lifted, there was a pain there that did not, it was just there all the time. It just, it didn't, it didn't go, you know, and and that's shock, it's shock, it's kind of, it's, it was just there, it was part of the body responding to to this. It's part of your brain that, no, okay, now you have to, you know, acknowledge this, you know, otherwise you won't be able to begin to get through this. And then you started worrying, am I doing this right, you know? Those are questions that come up so often for parents. And Katrina, can you tell me about what has been helpful in terms of coping along that journey? The things that can help, I suppose. One of the key things that helps, I think, is being careful about your expectations of yourself and of other people. And it takes a while to learn this, you know. It's good to credit the goodwill of other people because people genuinely just want to, want to, want to help, by and large. And those who don't, you know, it's not that they don't. It's just, in some sense, you have frightened them. You have frightened them. But you don't need those people in your space at that time. You really don't. What has happened is actually part of life. It's the most oh, you know, terrible, terrible part of life. But it is part of life, you know. And nothing's going to immune immunize them from pain of loss either, you know. So take what works for you with support that is coming from you and find strategies and 
don't be in any way guilty about them to find another way through where you don't have to engage in situations that are not things that are feeding or helping. You know, you just have to look after yourself to be able to keep to just to be able to keep going. And things I found the hardest thing, and this is partly to do with losing your only child, is that you just said, what are you for? What are you for now? You know, and I, I just said, what am I for now? You know, and obviously, you know, it, you know, I mean, I've, you know, I work outside, outside the home and there's other, you know, I, I have all kinds of relationships that are, you know, uh, other relationships in all kinds of ways. But because this one um, is just being a parent is just so, so central, the center of your your, your, your meaning in your life was, is, is gone. <laughs> um, but I think I kind of had a sense from early on, okay, the, you're not going to get an answer to this one anytime very soon. So it's okay to ask the question, but just don't knock yourself too much over the head for not getting answers here, right? You know, it was a question and it is a question, um, but it stopped tormenting me in the same way um, as time, gradu- gradually as time went on, you know? One thing I said to myself at that point, which I think helped, and maybe I just just came up with a formula for myself. I said, I don't know what I'm here for, but if I'm here, I'm supposed to be here. We are, all of us who have lost our children, we're in this world still for a reason. We make our way through the days, the hours. We make our way through it. And one of the most important bits of advice I think I was given, I mean, a few weeks in afterwards, I actually thought I was going crazy. I thought I was going completely bonkers. You know, I thought my head was going to split. I thought I was going going absolutely mad. And um, a good friend said to me, you know, keep your forward view fairly short, short term at this point in time. Don't look too far ahead. You know, it's enough to, to manage the next day or the next hour or the next five minutes, as the case may be knowing that you are making an effort to look after yourself a bit, you know, that helps. That that actually does help, you know, because you're claiming your stake to be in the world still, you know, a little bit, just even with small things, you know, and that, 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 that helps a lot. I started reaching out to try and find poems, you know, poems by other people, anything that might start to just give me some kind of language or some kind of words or some kind of representation of what... I was actually going through. I began keeping just a diary or a journal, just a journal, and I would keep a notebook by the bed and pick up a pen and write in it first thing in the morning before I got up and last thing at night before I went to sleep or either or both these, not all the time, but you know, it became a habit. It became a habit. And, you know, as weeks passed and then it became a couple of months etc you know it was interesting to read start to read back over and you think okay um even though it felt like many ways we were going into a darker place um and we were because the shock was beginning to lift and the reality of it was beginning to kick in you know um at the same time it was a kind of sense of okay this is not the same as it was you know this is not, the, or I recognize this, you know. So you began to think, okay, I can, I know this feeling, and I know um, how do I how do I manage on this this occasion, or the, you know, etc. And for me, then, you know, to find some way to channel that and make it make it make make it operate. After about three or four months, I I, I began to pull some poems out of 
out of the, the diary entries and that then evolved into something that became very important to me in the next couple of, you know, next few years. And can you tell me about connecting with Emily's memory? What has been that connection? There are so many different ways to connect. But for you, how how do you continue that that bond with, with Emily? You know, there's so much physical things in, you know, all the stuff that's there. In, in, in every, you know, all around the place. The clothes she left in the chair that morning. That is the early, that's what you hold on to at the, at, at the start. Little notes she would have written, bits and pieces that you would find. You kind of hold on to things. Um, slowly, slowly, it becomes less important to hold on to every, everything. You know, you begin to think, okay, again, I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing here from the advice of, uh, you know, or just the knowledge of people who, you know, put into words what actually really, really made sense for me, but was that you don't have to, have to hold on to everything because the energy that those things hold is actually comes in inside you. Her friends, you know, the, the children that she knew, for us, you know, to be able to still see them, you know, to be able to meet them sometimes, to be able to see how they're getting on, chat with them, you know, because, you know, we knew she was in their hearts and is and remains and I think always will be. To be able to see them moving, you know, and to be able to talk to them and then how, how what's happening and where are you going now or kind of the children who were in Emily's class have just started, you know, finished school, just started college, etc. And, you know, there's things about that, you know, that are... You know they're poignant they're sad they're sad but to be but but there's a joy in being able to see them you know move out into the world as 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 well and it's almost like and here you know we are so grateful to their parents to their that you know to the community who took us into their hearts and allowed us to be part of 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 their children's lives and knowing that we won't be the only ones who carry her memory you know other people carry her memory you know there's a whole the I knew her in ways that we didn't, you know, as well, you know, so, so, so that's, that's, that's powerful. I think Emily is um, busy in the middle of it all anyway, you know, really I do. I think she's busy in the middle of it all and there are all kinds of strange little things that happen and you wonder, you know, you wonder about, okay, that's where you're at now. That's where you're at. That's that okay. So now you're, <laughs> now you're telling us, etc. And is that the imagination? Is it real? So I think anyone who's gone through this knows, you know, where that comes and where the light, something, a bit of light opens. You've found solace in poetry, as you've mentioned, and you've written so much yourself, and have published many of the poems you've written, reflecting Emily and, and your experience. I believe you've written one to share with us today and, and if you'd care to tell us about it and, and read it for us. I was thinking about um, when, you know, before Emily was born and then after her death and and then now and some of the things that connect those are actually clothes, you know, the, the clothes your child, your child wears. So I wrote this small piece and I called it Chrysalis. White baby grow, brought to the till, with you in hiding still behind the big curve of my stomach. 
so sure of you when I wasn't. Because one day I must stand in the whistling air, ironing your blue dress to fit you out for burial. I summon that moment for the red admiral that flutters through the ten bars of light now guarding your empty cot. Thank you, Katrina. That is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing it with us. To the parents listening to this podcast, particularly those who may have no surviving children, those who might be thinking about the questions you've mentioned, who am I now? What might you say to them as they listen to this? I know Raw doesn't even begin to describe where they must be in those, where you will be, anyone who's listened to this, in that those early stages. But it doesn't stay as raw, you know, it doesn't. It changes. And the feeling of terror that you're not only just have lost your child, but you're losing them more every day, that also changes. Because, you know, bit by bit, you, you begin to tune into them. You will tune into them. They're there. And you will tune into them in a different way. Let what you're feeling work out in its time. You know, it can't really be rushed. Look after yourself in the small things. It's okay to say no to stuff. It's okay to say no to stuff and thank people for offering, etc, etc, but it's okay to say no. You will find ways, small rituals, large rituals on, on certain occasions, you know, they're, they're the ones of, you know, as the anniversaries start to come, you know, and all the small anniversaries and the, and the big ones. Nothing you can, you are feeling at the moment can be wrong. Nothing. There is nothing, right? There's, you know, what you are feeling is right because it is the situation and it is you in this situation and only you can be in this situation and know what this feels like. But there is a way forward. And I think, I suppose, I would say believe that you are meant to be here and that life will hold you and Although it feels absolutely unbelievable and impossible, life will find ways to open, open itself to you and you will be ready for it because you know your child is also in that opening. Thank you for sharing your story with us, Katrina. And we dedicate this episode to the memory of Emily. We know the power of hearing the stories of other parents and how this can help in navigating the journey of grief. Adam Carr provides information, resources, and bereavement support after the death of a child of any age and through all circumstances. They hold regular group meetings and information sessions in the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. You can find out more by visiting www.anamcara.ie or you can call plus 353 or from outside Dublin, 085-28-88-888. And if calling from Northern Ireland, 
1-3-1-2-0. We would like to thank all the parents who have spoken to us and shared their stories for this podcast series. Thank you for listening, and be kind to yourself.